This is 3 and 5 on SLC Management Podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Steve Peacher. I'm president of SLC Management, and this is another session of 3 and 5. And I'm really happy today to have Ash Gopani with me. Ash is a managing director in our client solutions team up in Toronto. Ash, thanks for taking a few minutes. Yeah, thanks for having me, Steve. So we're going to talk about inflation and pension plans today. So obviously, inflation is the topic du jour. We're now running above, depending on how you measure it, in some cases above 5%, big change from a few years ago. So when you think about defined benefit pension plans, which is who you spend a lot of time talking to, how have plan sponsors and their consultants thought about inflation risk historically? And do you see that changing in this environment? Yeah, it's a great question, Steve. And before I answer this, we're talking about how inflation affects pension plans. And for this purpose, there are really two groups of plans, ones where pension payments are linked to inflation and ones where they aren't. Now, while they're slightly more common in Canada than the US, most corporate plans really don't have pension plan payments that are linked to inflation. But these are the plans in Canada where discussions about rising inflation really have centered. For these plans, really low levels of inflation volatility over the past 30 years or so has allowed these plan sponsors and their consultants to place less emphasis on the risk that inflation could rise, allowing them to leave that risk unhedged. That's definitely changing. We've seen that these plans, that the plans that did choose to hedge inflation are less worried about whether inflation risk is transitory or not. And ones that didn't are are really starting to reconsider the strategy. Now, for those plans where pension payments aren't linked to inflation, the story's a bit less clear. On the one hand, the rise in break-even inflation rates has driven interest rates higher. And that's really happened both in Canada and the US. And in isolation, that really has served to drive liabilities down and improve funded statuses. However, it's not necessarily all upside for these plans. For example, those plans that use a final average earnings to calculate the cost of benefits for their active members will still see some of the increases come through in their liabilities for those members. And also, there could be an impact on the return-seeking assets that the plan holds to fund these liabilities. It really depends on how these assets perform in high inflation environments. I think what that means is that these plan sponsors also need to think about their strategy. And if they if they take a look back and seem to have fared fairly well based on the dynamics to date, they might want to think about locking in some of the gains they've seen so far. So it seems that uh, most pension plans have some exposure to inflation one way or another. And Ash, can you talk about the means by which pension plans had protected themselves from the inflation risk in the past? And are they looking at new and innovative ways to do this going forward? For plans that have benefits with a direct link to inflation, that either in the form of index-linked pension payments or wage growth, index-linked securities have been the gold standard for hedging inflation risk. However, these have tended to seem unattractive because they tend to be offered by federal governments in both Canada and the US. They don't tend to come with the same credit premium that you get from other forms of fixed income that are issued by corporate sponsors. So over the years, we've built capabilities developing some novel solutions that can help hedge these risks while providing additional yield. This strategy tends to include creating synthetic corporate bonds. These are created by using credit overlays. This is something that we've done for our largest clients for quite a while, and it's something that we're seeing a lot more interest in from corporate pension plans. You know, inflation can cut both ways. On, on one hand, equity for companies, it can increase the top line. And there's an article in the Wall Street Journal recently about how it's increased margins. Of course, it can mean rising interest rates, which can be a rising discount rate for cash flow. So when you think about rising inflation and the potentially rising interest rates that can go along with that, what does that mean for return-seeking assets like equities or like alternative asset classes? 
I think it really depends, Steve. Uh, for equities, it, it could be a mixed bag. Rising inflation, you kind of reference this, but rising inflation and the resulting rise in interest rates can make business harder to do. It can make financing more expensive. It can make the cost of goods sold and services go up. It really depends on the extent to which a company can pass on these costs to their consumer without impacting demand. What that's meant is historically, we've seen that high inflation and high interest rates environments tend to have not fared well uh, in equity markets. Alternatives, on the other hand, that draw their value from payments that typically are linked to inflation, uh, they tend to do a bit better. So if we think about uh, real estate, for example, which draws its value from rental payments, which tend to go up with inflation. And also bridge tolls is an example of infrastructure that also tends to increase with, with increases in CPI. These assets tend to have a bit of a natural inflation hedge built into them. So th- those will offset some of those additional costs that, they, that might be incurred. So in general, these assets tend to be a pretty good diversifier in these kind of environments. And also just in terms of other forms of alternatives in the fixed income space, when we think about floating rate notes, for example, floating rate note exposure either in the form of high-yield bank loans or floating rate U.S. securitized product. Those also tend to be pretty good diversifiers in the return-seeking component in an environment like this one. So Ash, as, as I think you know, at the end of these, I like to ask a question that has nothing to do with the topic du jour and, and is more just a personal question. So I found it interesting to talk to people about their experience during COVID, of course, and what new things they've picked up. So my, my question to you is, you know, when you look back on COVID, did you pick up anything new? Did you start doing more of something or stop doing something during COVID that, you know, that was different from what you used to do? Yeah, I think uh, probably like a lot of people, I think uh, I've definitely increased the amount of cooking that I do. I found that, you know, with a with a kind of, you know, a little bit of a hectic schedule in terms of some days, whenever you're working or out after work or not, you might not know whether you're going to be home for dinner or not. So more often than not, we used to just do a lot of takeout. That was very easy to facilitate. With COVID, me and my partner have got a lot better at, at cooking at home. I think even if I think about what I did last weekend, I invited two friends over and we we made pasta over the weekend, which was an amazing experience and something I don't really know if we would have ever had the skills to do before COVID. So definitely some some good, interesting habits picked up, I think. Oh, that's great. So new culinary skills and uh, hopefully the price of all those ingredients uh, and the food and everything isn't going up too much given our first discussion. Well, listen, thanks, Ash, for that. I really appreciate your comments and thanks to everybody for listening in to this episode of 3 and 5. Thank you very much.